Welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm Natasha Mirosh. And I'm Sam Donsky. Between us, we've toured and tasted our way around more than 60 countries. Join us now as we meet the passionate people who make travelling the world so rewarding and so very delicious. Hello and welcome. Today we're talking to a master baker whose work is so renowned, people fly her all over the world to bake their wedding cakes. She's cooked in destinations as far-flung as Sweden, France, Scotland, the US, Japan and even China. Gillian Bell, whose motto is Have Whisk, Will Travel, creates unique cakes that are a reflection of both the place she's cooking in as well as the personal story of the people and the occasion she's baking for. Today we're going to hear all about her approach and hopefully learn the secrets to her baking success. Welcome, Gillian. Hello. It's lovely to be here with you. Hey, Gillian. When I look at your cakes, first, I'm totally in awe of just how absolutely Mm. gorgeous they look. They really are works of art. But somehow at the same time, there's a simplicity about them that says homemade. And then, well, really, I just (laughs) definitely want to have a big slice of cake. Well, thank you. It's very kind. That makes me feel very happy, that sort Mm -hmm. of description. Mm -hmm. To me, first and foremost, is that people want to eat the cake. I've never been interested in a cake that sort of just looks good, but you don't necessarily want to eat it. You might want to put it in your living room as a sculpture (laughs) or something, or you might want to put it in your closet as a handbag. But I like cakes that look like cakes, and they're just sort of a bit... Well, homemade. I'm a bit wonky. My cakes reflect just a very organic way of working and seeing the world. I have to say that I haven't met a cake that I didn't want to eat yet, Gillian. <laughs> well, so. this is true. This is true. <laughs> so we're going to start with a little bit of background about you. Where does your love of cooking and specifically baking come from? I sometimes think that maybe I was even baking in another life. Since I was a child, I come from a very, very large family And basically, we were as poor as church mice. And my mum was flat out looking after babies. So it wasn't like I grew up in a home where mum had a little pinny on and she was baking all the time because she just didn't have time, poor woman. And I, to escape the noise and just the activity in our household, I would just hide amongst books. So I was always reading. I loved reading adventure books. And the thing that I loved the most about reading about adventures was the food, (laughs) was the provisioning for the adventure, the picnic or the stash of food the children would pack to go off on some adventure. I know exactly what you mean, like the famous five books with their ginger ale. Well, (laughs) exactly. And we had enough children in our family. You know, we had a famous five and there was a a secret seven. We could have our own cricket team. So there was enough of us to create adventures all the time. And growing up in a time where, of course, we didn't have any of the technology we have today, you were outside and you had to sort of build things in trees. So I must have worked out very early, and I obviously had a sweet tooth, that if I wanted to eat cakes and pastries and things that I imagined in the sort of wind in the willows down on the riverbank and so on when we went off on our picnics, I had to cook it. So I had to learn to do it. And so it was climbing up on a chair stuff. Probably nowadays the welfare would have taken me away. But 
before I even started school, I would be baking. Gosh. And, of course, it started out like little fairy cakes and that as a child and tarts and pies. But it was something I just loved doing. And, of course, you'd get all the oohs and ahs and you could get special favours out of your brother to <laughs> do things because you could offer cake and pies and tarts. And then, of course, working as you do when you're a kid to sort of earn a bit of money to buy yourself some things. I could always turn to baking or cooking. And then when I went to uni and when I went backpacking, although I went to uni and did a profession, baking could take me around the world. It was an international thing. So it's always been a part of my life, really. It got into my bones very early on. Mm, it sounds like it. Gillian. As we said in the introduction, you have quite a unique process for deciding what you make for each of your clients. It's a very personal approach. Can you explain your process and explain the sorts of things that are your inspiration? Certainly. I'm a bit of a strange bod. I know that and I accept that about myself. You know, I'm really a bit of a square peg in a round hole in the wedding industry. I feel I almost have to feel the cake. It's sort of, it's really hard. And sometimes even when I hear myself talking about it, it sounds strange to me. This is the only way I can explain it. It's a very emotional process for me. I quite often when I'm teaching people about making cakes, I will cry. (laughs) It's, I know, I just always feel a bit odd, but it's something very, very deep inside me. It's almost like it's an art. I'm creating art in my sense of it. And it's almost like uh, an intuition or something. So it was really always important to me just to make a cake, say you bake for a shop or whatever. And they said, oh, every Monday we want so many cakes of this same type every that has never appealed to me there's something about the process for me the journey of it that's more important or equal to the end the cake itself and I suppose I'm just being extraordinarily lucky to know that there's enough strange (laughs) people out there who somehow can relate to me or or want me to make their cake. Mm. And so I've been absolutely privileged to be able to travel the world doing that. So when I go and travel overseas, I've connected with the people who've asked me to make their cake in as much as I know their name and their date, they're getting married and roughly how many people are going to be at their wedding. But I don't know what I'm going to make for them until I get there. It's not until I'm in their place, until I've met them. I don't know. It's almost like I have to feel that. And then somehow this magic happens. And through that feeling I have for them and what I learn about them and that connection in this place that they are in or where they grew up or what's important and what they see and feel, I remember when I was in Scotland, one of the brides, where she grew up on the west coast of Scotland, it was wild and windy, but just down on the foreshore, there was these incredible thickets of dog roses, the most prickly, spiny things. They're like something out of a fairy story, that if you got tangled up in them, you would perish. Mm-hmm. And But they were there, and early in the morning, there was an incredible perfume off them, and I just felt 
even if she hadn't been aware as a young girl, that smell would have been on the breeze for her. She looked out at that every morning when she pulled back the curtains. And somehow that rose had to be in her cake. Anyway, on that trip, Annabelle, my friend who I do a podcast with, just happened to be with me. And so she took some photos of me. But I've pushed myself into this thicket. I put on my thickest clothes to protect myself. It's like padded. And I got stung by that many bees that morning because they loved these roses. But anyway, I succeeded and these roses were part of her cake and her story. Now, possibly to anyone else that's not part of that and it's not their story and not their journey, it maybe doesn't resonate so much. But it did for me and it did for her and them as a couple, and that is really important to me. I think it's more unique than odd. I don't (laughs) – that's such a negative connotation. It sounds really special to me. And as you say, you can't possibly have known about those roses until you arrived and were in in place. Exactly. So I wander around, and it's almost like I step where they step. I see the light as they see it. I hear the wind as they hear it. And as I walk, the recipe comes to me. When people contact me, it's not like, what flavours do you make? Sort of, you know, chocolate mud. I don't know what I'm going to make you. I don't know what's in season, what's going to be the best. And then on that journey, the bride's name, I'm not, you know, disclosing anything. I shouldn't. Her name is Iona, which is a most incredible island of Scotland and has deep, roots in Christianity and it's quite mythical and they used to make on that island a whiskey called Iona it's no longer in existence and Scotland has the most incredible raspberries I don't know if you know but like Scotland they have a very traditional sort of dessert called Cranachan which is basically cream and raspberries and whiskey and I thought we have to have Cranachan I have to try and track down Iona whiskey Anyway, it's just madness. You know, I go six (laughs) hours' drive to pick up some raspberries, and people say to me, you know we've got them in the shop. But I think to myself, you don't understand. (laughs) I have to make that effort. That occasion and that task, I feel really strongly that people have invited me into their lives. They don't even know me. It's like a privilege. And the occasion is worthy of the effort. I'll never be rich. I'll never be rich. You know, I spend any pocket money I make on a cake on the petrol driving for six and a half hours to get whiskey and uh, things. Oh, I love your dedication. Uh, I feel my life is richer for it in ways in which money doesn't buy. So, Gillian, your clients sound almost as unusual as your methods. How do they (laughs) find you and how's this set up? I mean... You fly to places quite often, mm. to other countries. How do people find you in the first place? How God do they knows. engage you and, and what do they want from you? Well, I still pinch myself. I don't know. Why me? Somehow they find me. And, of course, years and years and years and years ago when I first started making wedding cakes and, and that just developed, I didn't set out to say, oh, I'm going to be a wedding cake maker. Because you sort of made for people in your local area because we didn't have that connection worldwide which social media has provided. So it's mainly Instagram and also word of mouth, connecting people 
through social media. So that's sort of how they found me. But years ago, before this sort of emerged, this traveling thing, people used to write to me and ask me to make their cakes in the United States or wherever they were in the world and ask me to ship it. <laughs> well, I didn't even know what they meant by ship, you know, because we would say we'd post something. Anyway, it used to make me lose sleep at night thinking, my goodness, how would one post a cake? And I thought, how do I make a cake when this is almost this disconnect from the person and I'm not there? And what month of the year would it arrive there? And I'd see my postman sort of chuck my parcel over my fence. So what guarantee of how would it turn? So I would say, no, no, I can't. No, I, you know, it'd be terrible. It's not like it's an old fruit cake or something, a Christmas cake turning up in a box. This is your wedding cake. And especially if they want tears, it's just impossible, it seemed. And of course, back then too, it wasn't so easy to get air freight, cold couriers, all that refrigeration, which you can get now. So I used to say no. And then I got contacted by a couple getting married in New Zealand and they wanted a cake. And I said no again. And then they sort of were really keen because I suppose they were so close, relatively country-wise. They said about how you were about transporting them. So I looked into it for them. But of course, by the time you've got special... You know, got to keep it upright, it's got to be refrigerated, it's got to handle special refrigerator on the flight and then couriers. It was enormously expensive, 10 times more than the cake. And it was just really an off the cuff thing. But I just said, Look, I'm more robust than the cake, I will bounce. It's put me on a cheap flight and bring me over there. And I don't care where I stay, I can, you know, if you've got a room or I can get an Airbnb, something cheap. But I can come and make it for you. If you're that keen, I can come and make it for you. It can happen, and it would be cheaper to bring me there than to try and ship anything. And so they said, all right, then. And that was the beginning of it. So once people knew that they could do that, they just said, oh, well, I'll bring you. So that's how I sort of went around the world. I get these emails or messages in the early hours, and something will pop up from someone somewhere asking me. Gillian, are the people who employ you aware of your methods that you're not going to make the cake until you meet them and get a feeling for them and their environment? Oh, I think so. I think if you were a person that needed to have everything worked out, like as in it's got to look like this and this certain shade of pink and it's got to go like this and it's got to, you know, it's got to measure this many centimetres high and all of that, you would not engage me. <laughs> you would not engage me at all. Because I would just cause you stress. <laughs> it, you know, everybody's different. I probably wouldn't necessarily make that connection with that person as my client because they possibly it would be too prescriptive and there wouldn't be room for me to develop something uniquely for them. Mm. I remember when Pinterest first came on the scene, you know, people would send me pictures of other people's cakes and say, make that. And I used to think, oh, I can see that that was made in such and such a country. That flower doesn't grow here or so on. And it, anyway, I, I just thought, no, that's not a good fit. So I am just what I am. And I try to let people know through my website and my social media, this is who I am. This is how I do it. And if you want me to make your cake, I'd love to. But this is how it happens. So I think in some ways that I'm very lucky because there seems to be enough people in the world who trust me. It's incredible. 
You touched on ingredients there and availability and we've mm. talked about you traipsing across or driving across mm. Scotland for mm. raspberries and whiskey. Are there any ingredients or pieces of equipment that you take from home? I mean, most bakers have no. their favourite things and they wouldn't bake a cake without their favourite tin. How do you manage when you've got to um, yes. jump on a plane? And, and what ingredients are essential that you wouldn't cook one of your cakes without? You're quite right. And possibly this is the area that causes most people anxiety when they hear how I go about my cakes. Because I don't know what lies ahead in terms of where I'm going to cook the cake. Just before the COVID lockdown, my last cake, interstate, yes, was Tasmania. And I baked that cake in the mother of the bride's kitchen. And it was an arga. And for some people, if if it's not an oven they know, they wouldn't be able to do that because there's too many risks or too much mm, unknown, too yeah, many variables, mm. and it would cause them so much anxiety that they would age overnight, <laughs> you know. So uh, somehow or other, I have this capacity to deal with all of that. I just find that part of the challenge. So in terms of answering your question, my whisk, because it's like my little St. Christopher and I usually take my cake tins, only because it's sometimes harder to track down cake tins of the dimensions you might need in the time you've got available. But everything else, ingredients, I need bowls or any other things, I just beg and borrow off people. I'll just use what's to hand. Now, you also have quite a unique approach to the actual baking of the cake that involves starting at midnight the night before the event, before the big day. Why is that? Can you talk us through it? Yes, I know it's, see, when I hear you say it to me, I'm just thinking every, I can just imagine all the listeners sort of shaking their heads or turning off now and going, you know, this woman's loony, this can't be true. Again, well, one, it's to do with the freshness of the cake. Mm. I could never get my head around this idea that wedding cakes were made, leaving aside, of course, a type of cake like a fruit cake that matures and improves with age. Mm. But I couldn't get my head around this idea that in sorts of cakes that people are having, in terms of lighter sort of cakes and sponges and that sort of thing, that you could make a cake on, say, the Tuesday or the Wednesday and you didn't eat it till the Saturday. I used to think to myself, no, if I made you a sandwich on Wednesday and said, oh, this is for you to eat on Saturday, you would be appalled. I couldn't get my head around this idea that you didn't make cakes fresh. So I suppose that was my first thing that sort of drives this madness. And the other thing was, do you remember that story... I think it was Beatrix Potter, yes, the tailor of Gloucester. Do you remember the tailor had that task to do and he was tired and he fell asleep and the little mice came out and helped him at midnight and they were sewing all the beads on. It was a gold cloth or something he had to make for the king, or if I recall. I, I don't know. It's, I feel like those little mice. <laughs> Again, I will try not to get choked up telling you these things. But they go to sleep on their night before their wedding. It's their final night before the day of their wedding. And I feel that there's magic in the air. And so it's like I'm in my own fairy story. 
and I'm like those little mice and I wait for that clock to strike 12 because now it's their wedding day and now I have gathered all these ingredients and there's been a journey in the story of that and now the alchemy begins. What they have asked me to do is to reach deep within myself and with those ingredients I create this cake for them. It won't ever be created again. So it's as magic to me as it is to them. And so I wait till midnight and then I start. And it's quiet. It's like the world has gone to sleep. I picture them slumbering. You can probably tell I've got this vivid imagination. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine them and maybe she's not sleeping well because she's so excited and she's nervous and been looking forward to this day for so long. Or maybe even... I help her go to sleep because she thinks about that there's somebody there making that cake and it's like listening to something to help you go off to sleep. I have all these thoughts and so I make the cake and then the cake goes into the oven and I always go and sit outside under the stars and wait and have a cup of tea and it usually was peppermint tea and then the cake comes out of the oven, check it all, that it's it all worked and I let it cool, and that's when I go to sleep. That's when I'll rest. And then usually about dawn, it's cool enough for me to start to do the next stage. Sometimes on that very morning of the wedding, I might have set up with a farmer, one of the weddings in Sweden. I'd set up with the farmer because I have incredible strawberries in Sweden around midsummer. And so I went and got them. They were picked that morning. So I've set all that up beforehand. It looks all very organic on the outside. I've always got military position in my head. I've got a plan. And, of course, the flowers won't get picked until that day or even an hour before the wedding. I mean, the the one in Scotland, Iona, I actually went via a woman's house who I'd never met before, but had this incredible garden. I wanted this particular clematis on her cake. On the way to the... (laughs) <laughs> reception and put the flowers on the cake when I got there you know once I've set stacked the cake up and set it up. Wow you talked about Sweden and Scotland and I guess you've worked in some pretty unusual spaces in oh, people's gosh. kitchens tell us about the most unusual place that you've had to work and create a wedding cake in. Well, I suppose in China it was pretty unusual because and it was the same when I first went to Japan I just was really hard to find anywhere that had a conventional oven as we understand an oven because our type of baking doesn't, you know, it's it's changing now. Some people might have more Western-style kitchens with our types of stoves, Mm. but people don't bake like that, so they didn't have those stoves. So the first time I was in Japan, I had to end up, I could not find, apart from a microwave, Mm. um, tiny little microwaves that you couldn't fit a cake in, I had to build a steamer. I built a steamer and I steamed the cake. Oh, my gosh. But in China, it was to make a cake in Shanghai. And I didn't know where I was going to make that. And it just happened, this is the sort of magic of it all, that I had some friends who were Japanese potters who did a exhibition in Shanghai. And it just happened that the gallery that hosted them, I started following this gallery owner because his Instagram account was incredible 
and looking at all this beautiful art. You could go to his little gallery and he'd make you coffee in the garden and things. And one day he'd posted this picture of his garden, of the studio of the gallery. And down the bottom of the garden, it was tiny because it's in Shanghai, there was this little studio in the garden. And I zoomed in because I thought, I think I could see an oven in that studio. (laughs) And there was. It was like a Western-style oven. This man didn't know me, but I wrote to him and said, excuse me, you don't know me, but I'm coming to Shanghai to make a wedding cake and I need an oven and I happen to spy one in your (laughs) studio, in your garden. Would there be any chance I could use it? I mean, this is what's incredible about humans. And he just said, yes, of course, you're most welcome. And so I arrived in China. I'd never met this man and find this little alleyway and there was the student it was perfect perfect so perhaps that's a strange one that's an unusual one yeah it's amazing Gillian what sort of people have you worked for is it only really wealthy people who can afford a Gillian Bell cake certainly it's been some wealthy people and certainly people have got a lot more money than I have but I think it's all sorts of people certainly for many couples they're Usually couples who, their jobs, their careers have take them to different parts of the world. So it's this global citizen thinkers. So it's not a big stretch for them to think that someone comes from this place to make a cake. But certainly I've cooked for lords and ladies and Hollywood stars. And mm, anybody also, that you can tell us uh, about? Well, I, I don't like to give too much weight. However, <laughs> it's just between us. Was, Just between us, I heard on the radio the other day that there's going to be a prequel made to a very classic movie that came out in the 70s. The movie is a very famous movie and it's a classic and this person won an Oscar and they're making a prequel to that movie. Well, that person I have cooked for and that person is the most gracious and delightful human you could meet. Oh, my gosh, I'm so curious. I'm I'm going home to Google (laughs) 1970s movies and and Oscars Mm. after this. I know before COVID you were working on some events with Julie Gibbs, the Queen of Cookbook Mm. Publishing in Australia. Tell us about those and what your vision is for the future. Well, it's such fun working with Julie because – She knows everyone in the sort of Australian celebrity cooking world and chefs across the world because she's almost addicted to going, attending cooking classes and that herself. She just loves cooking. And she publishes all of Maggie's stuff and Stephanie Alexander. And, you know, she's she knows them all. They're like a sisterhood. Of course, there's male chefs, too that she's published and she's published also lifestyle books too but it's the cooking and the cookbooks that is her first love and we met because she came along to one of my baking days when I was cooking but we you know had already connected via social media as we all do who are drawn to the same sorts of things so we both love cookbooks obviously both obsessed with cooking and so we just thought as friends, it would just be lovely, you know, you just hang out and you dream up these things to do so you can hang out together and enjoy yourself and hope that other people perhaps might enjoy what you've got to offer. So we call it Cookery Chats and Books. 
so we cooked together and we cooked lunch and we talked about cookbooks and tell stories and I have been teaching people to make what was coined first in France as my ghetto d'émotion, which I thought was a lovely, mm. you know, my emotional cakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's been a really lovely thing. We started on a bit of a road trip around Australia doing them and we were due to be in Tasmania around about the time that I did that wedding. Mm. And of course, COVID put a stop to that, us travelling around. But we just wait till we're able to do something again and move around freely, at least in our own country, even if I can't go overseas. But I can't imagine not being able to travel. Mm. It's been such a part of my life, really. Well, while you are stuck at home at the moment, how are you passing your time? I understand you have a place where you grow your own organic fruit and edible flowers. Well, uh, yes, it's organic in that I don't use, it's like my cakes, I don't use anything artificial and I like to use organic ingredients. I suppose it's my contribution, it's my little bit to try not to put more gunk into our environment just in terms of chemicals and herbicides and so on and generally speaking i find that if you can source something grown organically it's it's been much less time between it being grown and picked and you having access to it because it's they're not bred for shelf life so yes most of the flowers you see on my cakes are out of my garden if i'm here at home or they'll be from someone who i might know or I just knock at people's doors and just say, oh, I see you've got lovely lemons on your tree this year. Any chance? And I just make them something to trade for what they give me or ask oh, them for flowers. And... It wasn't you with a pair of secateurs trying to steal my bougainvillea off my fence oh, last week, was it? Oh, no, I always <laughs> knock. But I, want a, I want a cake if so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if anybody out there is listening and they live in Brisbane and they've got something lovely growing in their garden, I'm quite happy to come around and pick it, you know, pick the fruit off the... Well, the wedding cake in Tasmania, I picked the fruit that I made for the cake of that day leading into so I had it ready for, to cook through the night so I was up the trees in the orchard picking it myself I mean I'm in seventh heaven doing this stuff so the idea that somebody says oh Gillian or messages me and says Gillian we've got an abundance of this on our tree or I've got this would you like this I'd be around there in a flash so if you've got a beautiful Bougainvillea. Now I know that. <laughs> I'll be looking out. I'll it. come. I'll come and trade something with you. Yes, but you're, no, you're I usually up. knock at the door and ask. Uh, I did that in New York with a cake. I knocked on someone's door to ask to borrow something. That ah, oh, that was an incredible adventure in itself in New York. To asking just a stranger, you know. Yeah. Presumably that turned out okay. <laughs> it, it turned out okay. You're here what to tell story. the story. <laughs> I am here to tell the story. In the end, I said to some New Yorkers, you New Yorkers always make out you're so tough and mean. And I had to borrow something. I just knocked on this woman's door and just asked if I could borrow something. And anyway, she lent it. This is one of the incredible things about this thing I do, which is something that I never, ever contemplated and has revealed itself to me almost in doing this. I'm enormously lucky to see this incredible good side 
good-natured and good-willed and generous side of human beings so often. And Cake brings out the best hear, in everybody, I think, don't they? I, it does. I, and I always think to myself that they probably go home after I've come into their life at some point in that day and asked to borrow something. And they've gone home and they've got a story to tell their family around the dinner table. You never guess what happened today. There was this Australian woman and, you know, anyone who thinks it's going to be a joke, you know, you wouldn't believe it. This Australian woman came into the, you know, uh, but it's almost like a tool story. But anyway, it's such fun. Gillian, this may seem a little odd, but I think you're the right person to ask this question. Okay. I have this theory that you can't bake when you're in a bad mood and you seem like a very calm person do you feel like when you're baking you have to be in that calm space and to put love into what you're doing or it won't work I do I do agree with that and this is I suppose it's also part of how I go about making the wedding cake you see I've done that running around that day before mostly to get those ingredients ready for that evening. And then uh, everybody's cleared off to bed. This world is slumbering. And then I go into this world of mine. And when I make the cake, when I'm, because I make it all by hand, it's not, you know, I don't have machines whirring away. And, and I don't know that noise is all wrong. <laughs> so I make it by hand. And when I'm stirring the cake, I stir in good wishes and good thoughts. Did you ever watch that movie or read the book Babette's Feast? Yes. Yes. And do you remember how the magic of how it changed her skill and love for her ingredients and that feast she created, how people changed? And then one day, and this is an incredible thing, but one day I got a phone call from Australia Post. Now, they telephone you? I mean, when did that happen? And they said, um, we have got something for Gillian Bell cake. Are you Gillian Bell cake? And I said, yes. And they said, we've got this parcel. And all it says on it is Gillian Bell cake, Queensland, Australia. <laughs> now, it's incredible. I went to collect this parcel. It didn't have a name on who it was from, but it had come from Sweden. And I opened this parcel and there was a book inside and it was the book like Water for Chocolate. Mm. And I hadn't read that book at that point. And subsequently, the person that sent it to me, I met, they came to Australia and she told me that she always thinks of me when she sees. Mm. So this idea that there's something about ourselves when we cook, we cook with love. That's why... That's why I'm a great believer why we have such strong food memories about some of the things when we're growing up or something. Food, it's so connected to us emotionally. It's primal. And so, yes, to me, it's very important. But I also find cooking and making pastry and so on so relaxing. I don't need to go to mindfulness courses, you know, just make a cake or knock up some pastry. Gillian, do you have any tips that you'd give someone like me who'd quite like to bake cakes but is really uh-huh. afraid? I, I've always been more of a savoury cook and I've only ever made hard as rock scones and I'm absolutely terrified of sponge cake. So what do you yes, reckon? Yes, you see, now it's, I just find it fascinating mm. that people are scared of 
something which is, I mean, I'd be scared if somebody said, could you operate on this person's heart? (laughs) Or could you bring this distressed airliner to the ground? (laughs) That I could imagine getting a bit scared about. But making a cake, I think in some respects, our television, and I always tease Julie Gibbs about this, because I always say to her, it's all those cookbooks and chefs that have scared the life out of people. People, many women, have been doing this for generations with their eyes closed. They just, you know, they cook over fires, they do this, you know, every place in the world have been doing it for millennia. And so suddenly we're all, you know, scared to do something. And I think it's that because there's a lot of people perhaps who go around saying, oh, you can't do that, oh, that won't work out, and so on, and, and try and make cooking and baking so it's something, this special thing that only some people can do. Well, I think we need to hang out for a few hours <laughs> and we'll bake sponge cakes and so on together. And I will show you how to make the sponge cake so good that you will be able to whip it up quicker than it takes for you to get in the car, go up the shop <laughs> and buy some naff cake. <laughs> so my tip would be just relax and enjoy it. Try and throw all those sort of, those words out of your head. Yes, certainly there's some basic rules, but it's a bit like you, when you're doing a savoury cooking, you know, for example, that if you wanted to, say, sear something in a pan, you'd want to get it pretty hot before you drop that thing in there. Mm. So, you know, there's some little tips and tricks like that, but nothing that is so, and, and in fact, sponge cakes, which I love, are quite can be quite robust. Think of your bath sponge. You can chuck it around the room. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, we need to hang out. All right, let's do can, it. Can, I, 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 will, can I come too, please? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's organise that. I'd love that. Gillian, since we've been talking, I've been developing this image of you in my head and it's of like a fairy godmother figure <laughs> at midnight in the kitchen with maybe some little mouse helpers who come out to help mm. you bring flowers to put on the cake or something. It's quite incredible to talk to somebody who has such passion for what they do and I'm going to think about getting married again so that I can get you to make oh. my wedding cake. I'm going to ask my husband if we can do that. Yeah, it's, do that. Or, yes, don't don't spend too much money or go too, too much fuss. I'm happy to make a cake uh, without you having to go through all the other. <laughs> we'll have a faux, but, a faux wedding. Yes, or just dream up an occasion to have a cake. But that's a really lovely image to have in your head. You try and think of that when you're baking yourself. I, I am so Imagine yourself as that person. I'm so going that to do that. And, and that we're just part of a line of people who came before us and after us, all those wonderful women stood in kitchens and in families for millennia. And we're just playing our part in history. It's food and it's a celebration and if you make it with love and use lovely ingredients, you can't help but it all to go right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and telling us about your work. It's clearly done with such love and such incredible detail. I don't think I've ever spoken to a baker who talks like that about what they do. <laughs> so, so, loving, so lovely. Thank you. Thank you. It, it is a joy. And it really is. Yes, I, I'm really happy to have talked to you today. You know I've been wanting to chat with you for a long time and I'm glad yeah. we were finally able to do it. It's been a pleasure. 
to our listeners, if you'd like to see some of Gillian's really stunning creations, we'll be sharing some photos on our website at extravirginfoodandtravel.com. And, of course, you can follow Gillian at her website, which is gillianbellcake.com.au and on Instagram at gillianbellcake. Until next time, bon voyage and bon appétit. You've been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. You can get more great food and travel inspiration, including stories, recipes, reviews and more at our website, extravirginfoodandtravel.com. You can also follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook or email us at extravirginfoodandtravel at gmail.com. And if you like what we do, you can support us by buying us a virtual coffee at our website. If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts to download and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please give us a like. 